Luke chapter 3, 15 through 18. <clears throat> so the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah, the Christ. Verse 16, and John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, uh, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Very powerful passage. Um, preached on that last week, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But John was the prophet sent by God to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus Christ. And the message that John preached was a message of repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness. Repentance, as I've mentioned in, in previous weeks, is a work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of men. When a person realizes that their life, his or her life, and their heart, and their actions, and their thinking are in total conflict with the nature and the will of God. And by nature, we don't, we are, we are all darkened and we are just down this path. And, 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 but by the Holy Spirit coming into the hearts of men and, and awakening to the fact that we're dead and we're sinful, we're totally just lost. We're totally lost. And so repentance is a work of the Holy Spirit in mankind. So it's not just my idea that I decided to get right with God. That was God coming into my life and quickening my heart. I remember a time in my life when I was totally not following the Lord, and it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon my life and my actions and my thinking that I, I, I needed the Lord. I needed to change what was going on. But what I found out is that I was powerless to do it. I was powerless to do it. And so, by God's grace, a person comes to realize this, and they turn from their sins in their thinking and their actions. They turn towards God to save them and to forgive them, which is God's heart for us, which is God's heart for every single man and woman, child on earth. And we know it's God's heart to save sinners because the Bible declares that for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe upon him would not, what? Perish, but have everlasting life. We know that's God's heart. And God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross 2,000 years ago in a place, in the place of sinners like you and like me. Amen? Yay! <laughs> and therefore, since Jesus took God's wrath upon himself, those who believe upon Jesus are justified, just as if you'd never sinned. You're totally right before God. And what a life. That is the Christian life, walking justified before God. Think of all the things we've done before we came to the loving Savior Jesus Christ and how he wooed us in our darkness and our evil and how he brought us to him and how he paid for our sins and he wiped them out. He knew the depths of our depravity and yet he loved us anyways because that was the heart of the Father. And he died for you and he washed all those sins away and, and, and the Bible says he remembers them no more. Don't you love that? You remember, but God's like, you got, you're like, God, don't you remember that one time I did this? 
And he's like, no, I just can't. What ha- I'm sorry about that. So God is forgetful in that one area. Praise the Lord. Amen. Obviously, it's a figure of speech. But I love that about the Lord. So not only are those who believe in Christ declared innocent through faith in Christ's death and resurrection, we become sons and daughters of the King of Kings. See, we were enemies. We were snakes, as John said. We were descendants of Satan, so to speak. Our father was the devil. We mimic our father, so to speak. He's the father of lies. What are we known by? He's deceitful. What do we know by? Now, I'm painting a broad brush. You have to know that, okay? But in general, we're broken, and we follow after his nature. But guess what happened? We were given a new nature in Christ Jesus, the nature of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And now he lives within us. His spirit lives within us. And now we are free. Amen? We're free. We're now sons and daughters of the Father, just as Jesus is a son. And so John was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus who would take away the sins of the world for those who believe. And John was making the path straight by preaching that men must turn from their sin and turn towards God. Amen? That's what he was saying. He wants you to make the path straight. And so the things that keep us from seeing the Savior are, is our sin. And, and John was coming and preaching a repentance. In other words, make the way straight. And we know that God's at work at the same time making those paths straight in us, right? But it's a beautiful thing to make when we see that tax collectors who are the outcasts of society were saying, how do I make this right? We're soldiers who were abusing their authority. We're saying, what do I do? Where we see prostitutes and sinners and, oh my gosh, Walla Walla Christians or Walla Walla people, you know, people from Walla Walla, and Lord forbid, people from California like me. We're calling out and saying, Lord God, what do I do? And the Lord gives us steps for repentance. And John said, bear the fruit worthy of repentance. It's not just a single prayer, you know, but it's a life that actually reflects a change. Now, we're saved by grace through faith, right? I don't want to mess that up. But our lives need to reflect the truth that happened in our hearts. And so that's a continual process within our lives. It's called sanctification. That's a Christianese words you can go look up. But we're being changed into the image of Christ every single day because that's who we are. We're sons of the King. So positionally, if we're now sons and daughters, now we should act that way, Correct. But if we aren't sons and daughters, we're not going to act that way, are we? Correct. So John's saying, produce the fruit where the, uh, that's, that's in keeping line with repentance. So John went around preaching that men must repent and believe, or they would face God's righteous judgment, and men were like snakes were running towards the water to be baptized, right? And he was saying that if you did not turn, you'd be cast into hell, which is eternal separation from God. How many of you do not like that part of the message. I just like the love part. Yeah. But tell you what, there's no good news without the bad news. The bad news, hell is real. Hell is a real place that will, that people are in right now that will eventually be cast into the lake of fire. Just as eternal life is real, eternal separation from God is real. God is a just God. And he's provided a way of escape. And those who do not receive his way of escape, Jesus Christ, his only son, 
have rejected salvation. They've rejected the thing that would save them, and therefore they remain condemned, and a just judge will condemn them to be eternally separated from God. But see, we, the church, have the great responsibility of spreading the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like John. And John pointed to the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, the one that wouldn't come baptizing with mere water, but would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I talked about this last week, that baptizing with the Holy Spirit, I believe, represents new birth. That's the sign of the new covenant, that you're born again by the Spirit of God. But also, he can baptize with fire. And because the very next verse says he comes with his winnowing fork to burn with unquenchable flames, basically the chaff, those who are reject Christ, right? So John's saying, yeah, I come and baptize you with water, but I'm pointing to the one who can truly baptize you with the Holy Spirit, make you born again, give you life, or can send you to hell throughout all eternity. You got to look to that guy. He is the gate. He is the one that we all need to look to, that all mankind will, be, will face one day. And so I believe that he was saying that Jesus has the spiritual authority to give you eternal life or to send someone to hell and get ready for him. And so verse 18 says, And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. <laughs> and, I, and I ask, is that the good news we proclaim? Is our, or is our good news just very lopsided? Because I want to be liked. I, I just need to be liked. Does anybody have a need to be liked? I don't want to tell them the bad part. I don't want to tell them, and we preach a false gospel, that it's all about feelings of goodness and love and la la. When in reality, they're escaping an eternal separation from God. And let me tell you, it's not up to me to convince people of that. That's the Holy Spirit. But I'm just to be faithful messenger by sharing the truth. As much as they like it or they don't like it. As popular it is as in culture or not. And that is your role too, as God has given you grace, as we'll talk about in just a little bit. But verse 18 says, and he, and, he, and he exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Verse 19, but when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added them, uh, this to them all. He locked up John in prison. Now, Luke lets us know that John's message of repentance and forgiveness was given to the ruler of the area. This is, this is one of the many rulers, a guy named Herod Antipas. He was the Tetrarch, the governor, let's say. It's a different word for it. But, but there are many Herods in the Bible, uh, beginning with Herod the Great, who rebuilt the temple at the time of Jesus, among other things. I don't want to go into the, the, the whole family history very much, but um, you, you just need to know that the Herods were descendants of Esau. In other words, remember Jacob and Esau? So descendants of Isaac, descendants of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Well, Jacob had a twin brother, Esau. And what happened? Esau went off and did his thing. And then Jacob had 12 sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Which were the, the Jews. And so Herod came from the line of Esau. And so he kind of was like a Jew light. <clears throat> Does that make sense? He kind of he kind of like was Jew in name only, basically is what it was. He was like, oh yeah, I'm kind of familiar with you guys, you know. 
but he was a political machine. He was working with the Romans. He was all about power, and they were a messed up family. And his history says it. The Bible says it. There's a lot of things. So I'm not judging. This is this is truly what um, was going on here, and we can see it um, illustrated in, in what he did and how he lived. And so um, this ruler, Herod Antipas, he was the governor of the area, and he divorced his own wife, then married his brother Herod's wife. And if I'm not mistaken, secular historians tell us that he seduced him with a sorcerer and all this type of weird stuff you can get into. But anyways, uh, he had a divorce. Uh, she had he had to divorce his wife. She had a divorce. She had to divorce his brother, and then they got married. And there was just this messed up thing. And so, this stuff was against the law of God. If you go back for extra credit, Leviticus eighteen sixteen and twenty twenty one, you could read about that. That's just against what God had said in the law. And so, what does John do? He doesn't want to rock the boat. He doesn't say anything. He just wants to be a good Christian. What does he do? He calls him on his stuff. He calls him on his stuff. Gosh, we need people who call people on their stuff more than ever today. I think we've, we err so much on the side of just wishy-washiness. And I think the problem is because we're so riddled with sin ourselves that we're afraid because Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye, amen? How, may the Lord make us men and women who repent and who walk in the Spirit, and who have the heart of Christ to where we wouldn't bruise a bent reed, we wouldn't quench a, um, you know, a flickering flame, but at the same time, we're wise as serpents and, serpents and harmless as doves, that we would speak the truth in love. You know what I'm saying? That the true concern wouldn't just be to rub someone's nose in it, but the true concern would be, I don't want to see you, the filthiest of sinners, Go to hell because God saved me, the filthiest of sinners. Amen? And you'd want to extend that grace. That heart would just beat. And here John is filled with the Holy Spirit, called to preach the gospel. And he calls out and calls Herod on his stuff. John was a straight shooter. Praise the Lord for that. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 14, verse 4, it says that John told Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. So he preaches the law to the lawless. And in verse 5, he tells us what kind of man Herod was. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. And so, like many uh, positions of power, like many politicians perhaps, Herod was a man who valued the opinions of men over the Word of God. You can see that through and through. He wanted to kill Herod, but he didn't do it because it wouldn't be politically expedient. That's sad. So on the one hand, he hated the fact that John was exposing his sin publicly and wanted to kill him. And on the other hand, he didn't want to lose the approval of the people, and so he did what politicians do, nothing. John put him in, I mean, he put him in jail, right? He just kind of did a, a little middle thing. And later, John would be executed because Herod got himself in a pickle because of public opinion. And he couldn't go back on his word, and he eventually had to execute John and put his head on a platter. That, you can read that in Matthew chapter 14. But this is the moral of the story. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts people like Herod, people like you and me. Amen? He comes and convicts us. Does it make who you are? 
the littlest or the greatest, rulers to peasants. The Holy Spirit desires that all men would come to repentance and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He comes and he convicts us of sin and righteousness and the judgment. And this happens through the preaching of the gospel. It happens through the church. That men must turn from their sin and turn to God for forgiveness. And in John chapter 3, verse 19, right after we just read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right after that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We read in verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. And the question is, are we cockroaches or moths? You know, someone said that to me. Was that you? I can't remember. Someone said it to me. It's not mine. Herod loved his darkness, didn't he not? He loved his darkness. You see, the light shines in the darkness and it exposes evil. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and shines the light of Christ in us. And the Apostle John would later write in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. Either you're a cockroach or you're a moth. Are we walking in the light or are we scurrying under the corners? Amen? When we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. Isn't that awesome? The gospel testifies of the Son who is the light of the world. I know it's in Matthew, but I love reading the old prophets. Isaiah 9-2 prophesied of Jesus when Isaiah said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It's interesting, I read John Corson's devotion uh, last night, and it was talking about how this very verse and, and, and how Jesus, how that land was given to two tribes who decided, who kind of settled in more of a Gentile type area. And they would get wiped out first because the enemies would always come from the north and wipe out these two tribes, right? And so Jesus later on, where does he, and so there's a lot of Gentiles in that area, non-Jews, right? And so where does Jesus set up his main point of ministry? Where it's dark. Where it's dark right in the middle of that area. That's where he set up shop in the area of the Galilee. That's where most of his disciples came from. Jesus shines a great light. You see, John testified of the light of Christ. The question is, will a person let the light permeate them or will they hide from it, lock it away, deny it, kill it? Um, This is the work of the Lord continued this day, this morning, through his word, through you. You are the light of the world. Amen? You're the light of the world. And I know many of you are going, me? You see, God doesn't choose the natural lights. He is the sun. You know, he's just looking for moons to be lit up. And the more the world gets in the way, the less we shine. 
But the more we have direct contact with the sun, the more we illuminate his radiance. Amen? To the world. It's a beautiful picture. And this is the work that the Lord is doing. The problem is not the light. The problem is not the light. Jesus is the light of the world. He leads men out of darkness. You know, when I first came here in the um, summer of 2009 to, to, to preach a message, just like, you know, you were interviewing me and I had to do one of those messages. I just preached one that was closest to my heart, and it was Psalm 107, verses 10 through 16 or 17. And it says, Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in afflictions and irons, because they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He brought down their hearts with labor, with bitter labor. And they fell down, and there was none to help. But then they cried out to the Lord in their troubles, and He saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he has broken the gates of bronze and he cuts bars of iron in two. That's our Jesus. Amen? You see, Jesus brings us out of darkness. He brings us out of the shadows and out of death. He is life. He is light. Jesus shatters our darkness. But we must be willing to let the light in, right? Let the light shine in those darkness, those dark areas and to turn and receive his grace and forgiveness. First Thessalonians 5, 5 says of those people who have, of those who do, you are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night nor to the darkness. Amen? First Peter 2, 9 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who you are. God's called you, conveyed you from the land of darkness and death into the kingdom of light by his grace. Amen? You see, when Jesus saves, we become those who declare his light into the darkness from which we came. How are you doing with that this morning? How are you at shining the darkness, your light into the darkness, or are you at home in the darkness? That's a conviction of the Holy Spirit, amen? It's convicting you this morning. Wake up. <laughs> Run to the light. How beautiful. But again, those in darkness like to stay there. Herod was one of them. Church, Jesus promised that we would be persecuted if we walked like he did, if we shined like he did. Do you know that? Expect to be rejected if you are shining the light of Christ, calling people to repent, calling people out of their sin, not in a judging way, but in a way that would warn them and with a deep concern. Amen? I'm so glad people reached out to you and to me. Amen? So John was imprisoned and beheaded, and Jesus was crucified. How about you? Some say that they're willing to die for Jesus. How many have said, I'm willing to die for Jesus? Are we willing to live for him? 
Are we willing to live for him? Amen. So that's, it's a great boast, but we got to be living for him, right? Now, verse 21 through 22 briefly speaks of Jesus' baptism. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. If you're like me, uh, you're looking at this and going, What in the world is Jesus doing being baptized? If Jesus is the Son of God, if He's sinless, if He's perfect, what is He doing getting into the water when John's message was for people to repent? Is that a logical question? I think that's a very good question. How many of you, when you read your Bibles, you have questions? That's the way it's supposed to be. Because what does God want to do? He wants to teach us. Amen? How many of you have had kids, and the kids, when they're little, they just have tons of questions? And they eat, we reach age like 12, 13, whatever it is, 11, 12, 13, and then all of a sudden they know it all. They're not asking questions, they're asking permission to do what they know is, is the best thing on earth, you know. <laughs> have you reached that stage in your Christianity? Have you reached that stage in your walk with the Lord to where you don't have any more questions? The more I walk with the Lord, the more questions I have, and they're more deep and more profound than ever. But it doesn't mean I don't have more faith. I, I have questions about big, giant, huge things. Does anybody have things? And small things. Those are legitimate. I think God wants to show us and teach us if we're willing to lean into Him and to seek Him and to find Him, to mine for them life that are like silver or gold. He's willing to show us. <clears throat> but... We see here the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. There's the Trinity there. And the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Not a dove, in the form of a dove. So you're trying to explain something spiritual with, uh, it looked like a dove, right? And so quite often you see a dove as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's why they do that. It's kind of like it. And the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And this was because Jesus would now enter the ministry, as we'll read in a verse, he's 30 years old, which is when people entered ministry. And what he, was, what he must accomplish really could only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit was upon Jesus Christ. And you can re- read about uh, the different attributes of the, the Holy Spirit, I believe, in Isaiah 11. I don't want to spend much time there. And we hear the words of the Father to the Son. We have the Father there. And what does the Father say to the Son in public? A public declaration to Jesus Christ. He says, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You know, let me tell you, that's a very empowering moment in the life of Jesus Christ. For Jesus, who is fully God, yet is fully man, to be filled with the Spirit and to hear from his Father, you are my son. I love you, and I am well pleased with you. It lets us into that window of that relationship that they had that was so tight and so beautiful. But there was just such 
we, we can't really describe it. We just, it's just little snippets here of the love that the Father has for the Son. Man, you're my son. You're my boy. I love you. And I am so pleased in you. And he's just declaring it to the world. And I'm sending you to go die. For us. Would you do that? You know, some, I think just on another note, some men and women, um, they've never heard those words. And they've spent their whole life trying to hear that. They didn't have fathers or mothers speaking into their lives and say, you're mine. And I love you. And I'm pleased with you. And let me tell you, there's guys with big trucks trying to prove it. There's women who are trying to do things and trying to go get relationships, trying to hear it. Some of you have been that. Some of you are that. I know I've experienced it. Anybody? I'm not judging. I'm just saying it's powerful. What we ultimately need to to be in relationship is with the Father. We need to hear it from Him. We need to know His good pleasure. We need to know that we're His, regardless of what our earthly parents have done. And this is where we're headed. You know, those, those words were empowering to Jesus, I no doubt. But more importantly, they are true. Jesus is God's Son. Jesus is loved by the Father. And Jesus was well-pleased uh, by the Father. And one of the reasons that Luke is telling us is this, is because the Father's plan, that just as Jesus is the Son, just as Jesus is loved by the Father, and just as the Father is well-pleased in Jesus, God <laughs> desires that all of us become one with Jesus through faith. And this is what the gospel is about. It's about making us one with God that we would be his children and experience his love and fellowship and good pleasure and bask in his light. You see, that relationship that Jesus has with the Father, he wants to have with you and with me. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants you to know how that you are his kid. He wants you to know what good pleasure he has in you. But that is found in no other relationship except through his son. And this is what the gospel is about. It's about reuniting us with God through Jesus Christ. No other way. And I want to close with this. John 17, 20 through 26. Jesus is about to be betrayed and crucified. He has prayed for his disciples. And now he prays for us. John 17, 20 through 26 says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you have given me, 
I have given them that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfect, may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Who is the them? It's you. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundations of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. Verse 26, I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. There's a lot there. Bottom line, how deep the Father's love for us is. How vast beyond all measure, you know, that he'd send his beloved son to go and to die in our place, that we may become the sons and daughters of God. That his arms are open wide for anyone who would come to him, would receive full forgiveness of sins. Not only that, you're now my kids, and I give you my spirit. We're one, my nature. And no one can ever take that away from you. You and I are together, and you will come into all eternity. You will never be separated from me. That's what it's all about. That's what the gospel's about. It is so good. So he calls you to step out of the darkness and into the light. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, you are so good. And your gospel is so rich. It is so far from religion. It is the ultimate relationship. And so God, this morning, by your spirit, draw, draw people to your love, to your throne, your forgiveness. Lord, there's sin here that is like mountains, and yet your one drop of your son's blood eradicates all of it, forgives all. And so, brothers and sisters, if that's you this morning, call out to the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Walk into the light, step into the light. Some of you might be going, oh man, I've blown it again. Oh, his arms are wide open for you. He loves you, child. Come to him. Experience his good pleasure. Turn away from the sin and walk to the sun. Lord God, we ask that you fill your church with your Holy Spirit. I ask that you'd fill your church with your Holy Spirit this morning. That we'd be empowered now to go and turn Go declare your light to the world, the relationship we have, the love we have with you, the well, just how much you care for us, Lord, would just be shown to the darkness. Remove whatever idols are in our lives, Lord, that your glory may shine. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.